Welcome to another Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, intuitive medium, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. I created this show with the intention of empowering others to help and love themselves. Aside from weekly skin tips, you will hear me spotlight extraordinary souls from around the world who are making a difference by helping people in their own way. Together, we can all make a difference, and it starts with love, love from the hip. Motherhood has been understood as an affirmation of identity and a rite of passage. It is defined in the dictionary as the state of being a mother. That's it. No sentimental description or thought given. A state suggests that it is only temporary. But when a mother loses her child through miscarriage, has a stillborn, is forced to give it up for adoption, or chooses to, many not only call her inadequate, but they also try to renounce her motherhood. Meanwhile, our bodies physically change dramatically, and our mental and emotional well-being creates space in our hearts and in our minds for another, all to help for the creation of a human being we are to house, nurture, love, and feed. These changes are not temporary. Motherhood stays with us always. Once a mother, always a mother. Motherhood comes with exhaustion, purpose, inspiration, and transformation. It is soul-sucking, happy, sad, hard, and it's unconditional love. It is a sacrifice we women make to bring life into this world, and it has long provided a sense of fulfillment as a woman, but only for those who are wed. The unwed, divorced single mother has suffered through a long history of being shamed, ridiculed, harassed, and pitied. Much of this shame goes back to the Victorian era, when single motherhood was unacceptable. Unwed mothers were forced to give up their babies for fear of being ostracized and not making it in society. Upon giving up their children in order to regain status, they would potentially mother the children of others as a governess ironically with the responsibility to chaperone the child in order to prevent premarital pregnancy. To relieve them of the shame, many young unwed single mothers often abandoned their children in workhouses, or worse, they offered up their babies to those who committed murder of the so-called illegitimate infants. Not to mention, to be pregnant during the Victorian era was also extremely dangerous. One in every 200 women died from childbirth. And it's no wonder why as medical treatment for pregnant women was absurd, from chloroform and ether being used as an anesthetic for childbirth to leeches being placed in the cervix to treat uterine inflammation. The chances of early childhood survival was also very slim, which is why Victorian-wed women were encouraged to birth many children, which only increased their chances of maternal mortality. In the 1950s, unwed mothers were also frowned upon Less than 10% of families with children were single-parent. Single unwed mothers were considered unfit to raise children and faced public scrutiny, often having eggs and rotten fruit thrown at them. As a result, many maternity homes were set up across the nation and operated by organizations like the Salvation Army and the Catholic Church. These maternity homes, while they became a refuge away from the public scrutiny, they forced countless women to surrender their child after labor. It wasn't until the 1960s when the single mother revolution began. The long-regarded belief of the connection between marriage and childbearing changed to welcome single motherhood and a fatherless family. The number of married women in the U.S. who bore children fell from 93% in 1965 to 41% by 2012. In 2022, the U.S. Census Bureau reported that 46% of mothers in America were single, Another survey revealed that in 2022, 15.78 million children were living with a single mother in the U.S., and 3.44 million children were living with a single father. Yet despite the single mother population being almost half of our overall population, single motherhood still sadly faces stigma. For the single mother, people assume she is a byproduct of a broken home, uneducated, financially unstable, unable to keep a man, and an overall failure. For the children of a single parent, society believes that they are damaged, less likely to graduate high school and or go to college, most likely to suffer from drug and alcohol abuse, depression, behavioral problems, and teen pregnancies. Society has forgotten the many respectable women in our history who, as a single mother, ruled a country, went to war, withstood slavery, and battled for women's rights. Single fathers do not have the same stigma attached to them. 
They are felt sorry for, but not pitied. They are viewed as superheroes and put on pedestals for doing the very thing a single mother does, parent. Single mothers, on the other hand, even on dating apps, get more backlash in divulging the existence of their children than men. The social exclusion sets in at their child's extracurricular activities, where you may not be able to attend everyone due to work and are then ignored. Or at social activities, including child birthday parties, where you are not asked to help in any way because you must not know how. Not being invited to social couples events because you are a spinster. And even visits to the ER, where you, the single mother, are asked in five different ways what happened to your child because clearly it was your fault. The minute that we single mothers reveal that we are indeed single is when we feel the wrath of judgment. And woefully, it is mostly from other mothers who are stuck in the age-old belief of marriage being linked to childbearing. Single mothers are not new to judgment, however. We do it to ourselves. Not all of us have a choice in single motherhood. And yet, for those of us who have chosen it, it wasn't because we knew it would be all rainbows and unicorns. Instinctively, as mothers, we knew it would increase our child's chance of survival and their probability of having a better life. Do not shame us. Do not punish us. We understand a level of struggle and hustle that most of you married mothers will never comprehend, and yet we don't hold it against you. Because in the end, it comes back to this. We are mothers. A mother is the most rewarding, all-encompassing, and life-changing experience that we, whether married or single, both share. On today's Love from the Hip, it is my esteemed pleasure to welcome Lori Hardy. Lori is an author, coach, trainer, Seattle radio personality, and podcaster. She will share her own journey with single motherhood, including the wisdom she learned along the way, and offer up advice to help you overcome your own obstacles with single parenthood. She will also offer up writing and podcasting tips. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The passing of our loved ones always proves to be very challenging, but can be met with ease when working with someone who can hold space, compassion, and especially someone who works across the veil. Allow Sakura Sutter, multidimensional channeler and intuitive medium, to be your spiritual guide with the other side. No matter if you choose to communicate with your transitioned loved ones to help you with the grieving process, or connect with spiritual, galactic, and other light beings to explore and dive in more on your spiritual path, Sakura can assist you. Not only does Sakura channel insightful messages, but she also incorporates her metaphysical tools to help you move through blocks and unprocessed emotions and feelings, providing you with a closure, relief, and new mindset to move forward. So don't hesitate to take your first step towards healing so you can start living your life once again. Remote sessions available. Contact Sakura at sakurasutter.com. That's S-A-K-U-R-A-S-U-T-T-E-R dot com. Has your life been interrupted? Has the carpet been pulled out from under you? Have you had to pivot, start something new, start over from scratch, or create something completely new? You're not alone. Come hear stories of others just like you. It's a brand new podcast called Interrupted Act Two, Reinventing Your Legacy with Coach Lori on Apple Podcast or Spotify. Do you wonder why you repeat behaviors that don't serve you? Do you struggle with self-love? Are you intimidated by situations where you want to stand up for yourself but can't? If any of those resonate with you, you may be living someone else's story. This can lead to dysfunctional relationships, emotional shutdowns, and regrets. Every part of your life may be a reflection of someone else's story. It's time to live your life. In 2005, spiritual life coach Jeanette Dames realized she was living other people's stories. She recreated her life to live her story and love, joy, peace, health, and prosperity showed up. From this deep transformation, Jeanette has developed a six-week coaching program to help you create your life your way. She can help you make it a dazzling reality. It's time to let go of what you absorbed from others and create the life you want. Visit RiverAngelRanch.com for more information. That's R-I-V-E-R-A-N-G-E-L-R-A-N-C-H.com. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm intuitive medium, spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. 
And don't forget to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and to subscribe and share my podcast, Love from the Hip. That's H-Y-P, anywhere you can find podcasts. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Lori Hardy on my show. Lori is an author, coach, trainer, Seattle radio personality, and (laughs) podcaster. Hi, Lori. Thanks for being here today. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for walking over. Yeah, it was a long (laughs) jog. So, Lori, I have to ask you, what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, besides wanting to be, if you remember back in the day, Sunshine Sherry (laughs) and KJR, because there were no women DJs back then. Uh But I always just thought that I was going to, you know, grow up, get married and have kids. Mm -hmm. I didn't really know. It wasn't really like there was something you could be. It was really not a thought with me. Did you feel you had settled at all? Well, like I say, I didn't know it was an option, so it didn't feel like settling. Yeah, it's just uh, something you did. Yeah, and then when I, you know, when I got older and graduated from high school, I'm like, oh, I better figure something out. And that's when I started thinking about maybe I should go to college or maybe. Yeah. But it wasn't like we tell our kids you're going to go to college or you can be. But that wasn't talked about when I was growing up. Right. So I imagine during that time, a lot of women actually settled into something. Mm-hmm. But that still happens today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so why do you think that happens for most women? That's a really great question, and I I see it. In fact, we've been talking about it on my new podcast because a lot of people that had to pivot later in life, what they recognized is they stayed in situations way too long where they weren't happy because they didn't know they had choices. And I think women have come a long way, but I think a lot of times if you have kids, it's like, how am I going to make it on my own? Mm -hmm. Because what if I don't get support? And so... You feel stuck. Um, Right. So Mm -hmm. I think often we'll stay until maybe the kids are a little older or, you know, until we figure out that we could do something. Yeah, absolutely. That we have an identity as well. Mm -hmm. So when did you write your book, Did Not See That Coming, Hope for the Single Parent? I think it was in about 2015. And who did you write it for? I wrote it for single moms. It's really not a parenting book, but when what happens, as you know, as a single mom, when you become a single parent, guess who does everything? Yeah. <laughs> you. You're up with the kids <laughs> at night if they're homesick, if you have to take the garbage out, all of that. And what I recognized is there's this level of perfectionism. We want a clean house. We want our kids to look good. We don't want people to see our kids be looking uncamped and go, sure. oh, that single mom. Right. And in fact, my first we website. like overachieve. Right. Was that single mom. And so I had to learn to let go of things And that was hard because when people would come over, I would worry they would judge me for my house. But yet what I wanted is when the kids were there, I wanted to be there having fun with them, Mm -hmm. enjoying them and being part of their life rather than the taskmaster of let's get this cleaned up and, you know, all of that. So it was really a hard balance. Absolutely. And I think the whole, you know, fear of judgment as a single parent, as a single mom, Mm -hmm. it's funny, we're constantly roped back into that, right? I mean, we're constantly judging ourselves Mm -hmm. and then worried about, you know, as you said, having a messy house and then finally just you know what, this is the way it has to be, right? Right. Just and letting go. Yeah. And like you said, we do bring a lot of it on ourselves. But one thing I had decided I would not have alcohol in my house because as a single mom, if the kids came home and I wasn't there, I did not want them to have access to alcohol. Mm. First, because I didn't. But second of all, I didn't ever want to be judged as, oh, the kids are going to her house because there's alcohol. Right. And so there were some really big decisions I made be just to make sure if anything ever happened, it didn't come back yeah, on me cover as yourself. the single mom. That's yeah. crazy. So how long were you married for? So I was married for 14 years. Okay. What and- I say is after 14 years of marriage and three kids, my husband left me for David. Um, and not only that, he took my best tiara and cemented my status oh as my a single gosh. mom. And back that, that was 30 years ago, more than 30 years ago. And so that wasn't talked about. Right. And so did you know it was already over before that happened, before he left you for David? I did. I knew something was up and, you know, I felt the distance, but I stayed because my kids were little and I, I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know how I was going to make it on my own. And I wasn't confident if we co-parent, parented that they would get the nurturing they needed. Right. Absolutely. And the financial stability, which we touched on earlier about why a lot of women stay Mm -hmm. or don't come into their careers, if you will. Mm -hmm. So 
So choosing to stay in the marriage, how did that make you to, how did it make you feel? Or was there any, I guess I have to ask you, was there any hint that he was gay? So when I, when we got married, he was a hairdresser okay. and I had gone to Bible college. So I, uh, most of the guys I knew were a little bit, you know, sensitive, effeminate, whatever. Right. And so that didn't occur to me. And of course we have three kids, but when, when I started to recognize the signs, I would say again, 30 years ago, this is not, wasn't talked about is I was in strong denial and I did not talk to anyone. And, and it was like the moment I really knew something was up because somebody called me and said they had witnessed something. Yeah. It was at that moment that I had to let go of all of my thoughts of all the things I was trying to protect. And it's so crazy how we do that. We just, you know, create this story in our head. Right. And also because it wasn't talked about, he would rather I be bad than him come out as gay, which did happen. We were in a small community and they, they did love us through it. We, I feel mm-hmm. like it was good that we all stayed and, and worked through it. Um, I wouldn't say everybody worked through it, but at least everybody Majority. knew everybody. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but it was hard and it, and it was embarrassing. Like why, why was I the, I the only one that didn't yeah, know? I was going to ask if there was gossip going around, like when you went to the grocery store, because it was such a small community. Yeah. It was funny. People would come up to me and smack me on the shoulder and go, I knew it. And I'm like, yeah, that makes me feel really great. Right. <laughs> Now, you had said in your book, and and this hit home for me, or it was hard to hear, but you had said that he told you that he had to, he married you to prove to his dad he wasn't gay. Mm -hmm. How did that make you feel? It was really hard. I I remember when he told me that I called my friend. She lived just down the road and I, and I could hardly talk. And I said, come over. I, I'm okay, but I could hardly talk. And she just sat with me. She didn't try to fix me. She didn't try to say, well, you know, he loved you in his own way or any of that. It was it was really one of those moments where I recognize how important it is sometimes to just sit with people. Mm-hmm. Our job isn't to fix or to make things better. It's just that the hard truth sometimes if somebody just sits with you while you cry. Yeah, you know? the act of listening and holding yeah. space. That's really important. So then what happened? You ended up with full custody of your children? I, I did. And I ha- my youngest was, I didn't know this at the time, but he was extreme ADHD. Mm. And we had tried to leave him with a babysitter. We would come home. The other two would be in the house with a babysitter. And the baby, two years old, would be outside. Oh, my goodness. Because he was just so <laughs> intense. And I knew that I couldn't go back to work full time. Yeah, I knew that I couldn't do that. And it was interesting because people were giving me job applications and telling me about openings. And I lived on an island. So, so they were coming together to support you. In that right. Way. But if I had to leave the island, oh. that added two hours. And it was interesting because somebody from here, this radio station, yeah. uh, had a sales position. And she asked me to work from her from home. Mm. And so I was able to do Perfect. some of that work. And then... Uh, you know, working from home was not a thing. And then eventually uh, somebody that had a CPR training company asked if I would book uh, appointments for them because of uh, OSHA and all that. You have to have the training. Mm -hmm. And so I I was like, I could do that from home. So even though it wasn't big money, I found ways to be home and be available because I knew I just knew I could not be gone from my kids all that time. So the opportunities were just coming in. And what do you think helped those opportunities to come in? I had a belief system. I I believed that I could make something happen. And I don't know, maybe it's crazy fantasy. But I remember one of my dear friends later said, I thought you were crazy. But she was like, okay, I'll support you. You want to be home. And right. what happened was we lost our apartment mm. uh, because he had to pay minimal support and I remember someone called and said, hey, do you want this camper? And I'm like over my dead body. And all of a sudden I'm calling him, you know, that camper. <laughs> but this right. is how sometimes, you know, just I think my faith and my belief that good things could happen. Somebody said, hey, uh, I my, I was raised at a Bible camp in, I don't know, Kansas. I think we could get you into the Bible camp here on the island. And huh. people didn't really know about it because it wasn't for the island. It was for people off right. the island. And so they created a space for me. I worked in the kitchen. They didn't pay me, but I got to stay there for free. And it was really a harbor. It was really a place for us to just be with people we didn't know. We didn't have people every day saying, oh, you're the family. Oh, you're, you know. The judgment. Yeah. Yeah. So that, and for my daughter who was 12, it was 
really hard. She was going through puberty and it was embarrassing. But for the boys, they're like, we've got run of the camp. So it was interesting how yeah. the perception. Yeah. Now, how old were the kids when your husband left? Your Five and seven and 12. Okay. And my, my five-year-old, by the time he got back to school, he had gone to the counselor and he got in the banana splits group and he was taking charge of being <laughs> a, ki- a wow. divorced parent, a kid of a yeah, divorced yeah. parent. Yeah. And then you were also able to keep a horse for your daughter. You know, everybody told me we had to get rid of our animals because we were, mo- you know, we had to move. And I knew this is another one of those where was I crazy? I don't know. But I knew you don't take a horse away from a 12-year-old girl. Can you imagine? No. And I I knew that people with pastures, that we could just put it out on grass. I knew that I could figure this out. And, you know, I'm the kind of person, if I have to move a couch and, and it's heavy, I figure it out. Mm-hmm. And so I found a way to keep that horse for my daughter. And I don't know if she understood what, what, what it makes that? Yeah. yeah. But um, that's something I'm really proud of because I think that could have really changed the trajectory of her life to have to lose that because she would just go sit in the field with her horse when she was having bad days. Yeah, it was her healing. Yeah. So tell me about this ranch that you ended up on. Oh, my gosh. we <laughs> I had heard about a caretaker position and I applied for it. And the person called me at camp because we didn't have cell phones. And he's he said, hey, I'm just calling you to tell you you can't have the place. Uh, I'm not going to. I'm not going to have a single mom. And so I was like, wow. Why? So Why not? <laughs> I was so sad. And I told my daughter and we cried because that would have been a great place. They had ra- race horses. It was 55 acres. Two days later, I get a call. And, and he said, is this Lori? And I go, yeah. He goes, this is Mr. Allen. I go, oh, yeah, well, I'm the one. I'm the single mom. He goes, I know, I know. The horseshoer was out here and said, I have to give you a chance. I'd be making a big mistake. And so we got to move on to this amazing ranch. And when you think about my youngest Having ADHD, he had room to run and roam and scream and yell and be loud and be himself. That's amazing. And be around all the animals as yeah. well. So how did it make you feel to have to ask for help? That was the only thing harder than asking for help was actually receiving it. Well, that was my other question, too. And it was really hard to ask for help. But when when you're a mom and your kid wants to play baseball and you know you need to pay, that, like, there's no option. You just go find a scholarship. You go mm-hmm. ask. And because I had to learn to ask for help, I really, I feel like in my social work that I do, that I have a bigger compassion because I understand what it's like. One of the things is when, like, when people would go to the food bank, everyone would be like, oh, we're here to help you. And they're so proud of themselves helping you. They have no idea the humiliation and shame of going there. of the person asking for help. So yeah. in my community, I was able to go to the food bank later and share that. And they created a new entrance. So you didn't have to walk through the thrift store in front of everybody like, oh, here they come. Here they are. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So you were resistant and it was also hard for you to receive. Now, what would you say to other single parents about receiving or asking for help? What's advice that you have? Here's the thing, Sakira. We always get to give back. Mm-hmm. So this is what changed everything. I The Family Resource Center was helping me out with some things. And they asked me two things. One, can you hem some pants for us? And I, <laughs> I laughed. I thought it was a joke. Uh-huh. Well, they, they couldn't hem pants. And so, yeah. So in my chaos, in my mess, I was able to help them out. And then they asked me to cover some chairs. And they were going to pay me. I go, you can't pay me. You're helping me. Let me do it. And they go, no, we want to pay you. And all of a sudden, I recognized the value in the very the things I thought anybody could do. And so it really helped me recognize that that we can always give back in some way. And even mm. if we can't get back right then, later we can give back. So receive and receive graciously and then give back when you can. I love that because in all that you didn't have, you focused on what you did. And I think that's one of the hardest parts. Yeah, gratitude. I had to really every day. I kept a gratitude journal. Yeah. And every day I wrote down three things I was grateful for. And I'll tell you what, when I started it, I was still yeah. married at the time. <laughs> and I, even though I had a roof over my head and a car, it was still hard for me to find things. Did it change my circumstances? No. But what it did, it helped me to look. Mm. It helped me to look for things to be grateful for. And don't you feel the more grateful you were that it brought in more opportunity for you, that the, the universe, that God would have your back? Right. And, and you talk about this, the law of attraction. So if we're focusing on the negative, right. that's what's going to show up. And so I learned early on, oh, when I focus on the positive, even though I'm going through hard times, more positive shows up. 
Now, you did a lot of bartering, it sounds. I did. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what's the gift in that? What's so great about that is when people barter, it's usually service for service. Mm -hmm. So you may have a lawyer and I may sew, which is definitely a big cost difference. But in bartering, it's often just an equal trade. And I did a lot of sewing. My daughter was in... Uh, into the horses, of course, and there was horse garb that <laughs> spandex <laughs> things, and so I started. Outfits, yeah. So uh-huh. and I would make some of their shirts. So I would do sewing for people or trade gardening. And I had some friends that they would help me clean my house. That wasn't my strong suit, but I go weed their garden. Right, and that also gave you a sense of purpose, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because I think that's also another hard part is we don't feel purposeful other than there for our children. And community, because think about it. If you're a single mom, you're busy, you're working, you're doing all the things. So all of a sudden, if someone's helping you clean house and you're helping them garden, you're getting some one-on-one time, even though you're working. Yeah. So I'm curious, as the community is watching you grow and blossom through this really difficult situation, what was some of the things you were hearing? Because, you know, obviously there was the gossip. (laughs) That's interesting. I think that uh, people were just in our community, people were really supportive. And, you know, there there's always going to be things, but I knew what I knew. And I knew I was doing my best. And I knew that I really wanted uh, to shed the best light on the whole situation that I could. And so I worked really hard at that without talking bad about, you know, the kid's dad. He wasn't a bad person. Yeah. You know, we had this thing happen. Um, and so I, I did my best to never shed any light that would reflect badly. And what's your advice on that for other single parents? It's a hard one. It is. And you may have an <laughs> ex that isn't nice or right. that does do things to hurt you. But when you talk about them in front of the kids, you are talking about them. And hold your judgment, not because you're a saint, because it will come back to Absolutely. bite you. <laughs> yeah. I actually was really great at not doing that about my daughter's right. father. But I can't say the same for him, unfortunately. Right? Right. (laughs) We can only do what we can do. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, with that, we're going to take a quick break, but stay tuned for the Weekly Skinny up next and more Love from the Hip. On this Weekly Skinny, I would like to talk about the time and money women spend on their skin. A survey conducted by Advanced Dermatology in 2022 discovered that in general, American women spend an average of $877 per year on their appearance, which is roughly $300 more than men. According to the survey, women spend the most on these three categories, skin care, hair products, and hair care. Many women also fork out an average of $1,120 on cosmetic procedures per year. Another survey conducted showed that one-fourth of all appearance spending is on the face alone, more than any other body part. Data also reveals that women in their 20s spend more on makeup, while those in their 30s and up are looking more for anti-aging skincare products. While studies have shown that married people tend to live longer by engaging in preventative medical care, married people also tend to take worse care of their skin. In my 20 plus years of working in the skincare industry, I have found it to be also true that single women tend to spend more money on their appearance than those who are married. Many married women, not all, end up doing less to their skin for reasons including they don't have time with all of the housework, taking care of the kids and the pets, they are really bad at making themselves a priority, and tend to be more conscious about their spending. In addition, I have heard some say, admittedly, after I found my partner and I got married, I didn't see the need. I have also come across married women who have never let their partners see them without makeup, which means they tend to sleep in it, which is definitely a big no-no when it comes to taking good care of one's skin. Although married women tend to do less to their skin, I am not sure they are actually saving more money because they end up shelling out for their kids' skincare products as well. Single women overall tend to make more time for their skin. This is not to say they have more time, especially if they are a single parent, but rather they tend to make it more of a priority, especially if they are dating. Interestingly, however, when a woman is engaged or planning a wedding, she is more inclined to spend a lot more money on her skin and beauty regimen, probably more than she ever has, all to have the most flawless-looking skin for that special day. Although there may be a significant difference in skincare with married versus single women, there is zero difference with hetero men. They tend to spend nothing on their skincare overall, whether single or married. Their three-in-one shampoo does it all. 
So, to all of the married women out there, your skin still needs you. And to all the single women, check in on your married friend's skincare. It probably isn't where it could be. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm intuitive medium, spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. If you're just tuning in, I am chatting with Lori Hardy on her book, Did Not See That Coming, Hope for the Single Parent. So, Lori, let's talk about how did you push through the victimhood of the divorce? Because this is something I was guilty of as well. Yeah, that's so good because it is really easy to be the victim. And when we get to survivor and when we get to victorious, that's when we really can live. And, you know, our dear friend Diana talks about this a lot. We can choose to suffer or we can choose to not suffer. It really is our choice. Yeah. As she says, you can get better or better. Yes. (laughs) So what part did you play, do you believe, in the failed marriage? And what did this awareness bring to you? This is what I'll say, and it's what I'm discovering, is often when we have childhood trauma or childhood abuse, it sets us up. And even if it's not necessarily our parents, maybe, you know, a lot of children are sexually abused by a family, friend, whatever they don't tell The statistic on that is 26 years. So whenever there's childhood abuse or trauma, we often take it into a marriage. We we attract that. And Mm. so because I came from a home where it was very dysfunctional, I think we attracted each other. And I, you know, I think that um, we're we were both guilty, but also we because of what we went through, we were able to grow and learn and become better people from it. Well, so. and you were at, it was during a time when you weren't really, you know, you're not going to therapy. You're not mm-hmm. expressing your feelings. Yeah. You're not taught any of that. Right. Yeah. It wasn't a thing. Right. So you're suppressing it mm-hmm. and then essentially using your partner in marriage mm-hmm. to allow all of that to come out. Well, and you think <laughs> about it, it, you keep it a secret. You keep all those things secret. Mm. And what I always say now is when people say, well, I don't want to bring it up. It's been so long. It it. It affects our behavior. So when we tell our story to someone safe and we start to do the work, then we are going to have different behavior. We're going to attract different type of people and we're going to become more healthy. And but all of that is part of our journey. Absolutely. And I would definitely say he had a big secret Mm -hmm. as well. Can you imagine what that must have been like for him to have to? Yeah, that pain and agony to hold on to that. Mm -hmm. That's pretty common, actually, Mm -hmm. I find. So do you think it is important for us to consider, as single parents, it's important for us to consider our role? Consider our role. I, I think, I don't think that I really thought much about my role because I was so busy trying to do all the things. Like, uh, so everyone said, get your kids in counseling. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's the best thing. My daughter didn't want to go. Mm. And we fought tooth and nail. And it's funny because she's a social worker now and How she funny. works with, with the kids <laughs> who have had trauma. Yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, my biggest thing was to do all the things the best I could. I remember the school counselor when I shared some things we had gone through because my middle son was very OCD and he would erase his his homework until it went through the paper because it wasn't perfect. Wow. And I remember I said, well, we've gone through these different things. And there was a very short second marriage that was alcoholism. Nobody knew it was terrible. We had to escape. And she just goes, those poor babies. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. The, my kids, they have really suffered. Yeah. And, you know, I tried to always... Uh, talk about it and let everything be out in the open. But that doesn't change their reality. I mean, they, they, you know, they were from a divorced family. Right. And is that what made you choose not to date? Yes. Okay. The second short relationship, I decided I was not going to put my kids through anything else that, and it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be home and make cookies for my kids. No, I respected them and I didn't want them to have to deal with another person. When you think about getting to know someone we thought we knew this person and, and yeah. people who knew this person said, oh, he's going to take care of your kids. He's going to be a great dad. And it wasn't that. And I think that's hard for women because once we get out of a relationship and even a failed marriage, we jump into something right away as a means to validate ourselves. So right? this guy was this big football player, big. So I went from, you know, <laughs> yeah. and I think that's kind of what we do. We keep trying to solve our problems. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so I decided that I was going to be single. I was just going to work on myself. And, you know, if people, this is what gets me. People always go, you'll find someone when you're not looking. Well, you know, for 20 years, I haven't been looking because I was raising my kids. <laughs> right. And so it's funny how people say things, uh-huh. trite, they mean well, but they're really just like not true. Right. Or it applies to other 
people. Right. Maybe it worked for them, but it's <laughs> not people, a broad right? general. It happens for everyone. Yeah. So now you learn to become very resourceful and resilient. I am so resourceful. Yeah. And now you started a book club on the city bus. Tell us more about that. That was so when very I was, fascinating. I was working downtown Seattle, the Columbia Tower, which you can see right there. And, uh, you know, I got to know people on the bus and, and we'd start talking. So we started reading books, uh, the the 510 Book Club. And so once a week, we would start a new book. And it was just awesome. And what were some of the people that you ended up meeting? <laughs> oh, so many different people. Most of them were working. But one time it was funny. I was talking with this lady and, and uh, she asked what I did. And I said I was a traffic reporter at Metro. And this homeless guy in the front <laughs> row turned around and goes, I love you. I listen to you all the time. Aww. Well, there's a lot of traffic reporters, but people think we're all one person. One person. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> so what is the gift in talking to strangers? What was the gift in it for you? Oh, the the gift is the stories. When, when we talk to somebody that's a stranger and we actually listen mm-hmm. and just listen to what they have to say, it is such a gift. And I think after COVID and all we've gone through, that's why I really pushed the book writing class that I teach because it's it's not about really writing. It's about telling your stories. Right. And number one, it's so important to listen mm. and hear somebody's story, not assume we know where the story's going. Right. But then also being able to share our story because we our story might be the answer to someone's prayer. Yeah, there's healing in that. Mm-hmm. I love that. Now, do you think your loveless marriage to a man who could not physically love right. you stole your femininity? That, that's such a great question because immediately a friend of mine offered to pay for me to get fake nails. And it was interesting because I went to my church for some help for a, a PUD bill. And they said, well, we notice you have fake nails. You obviously have your priorities mixed up. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. And so I recognized early on the whole judgment thing. And, yeah, I think it did affect my femininity. And uh, when you asked me about this a while back, I've been thinking about it a lot mm. because I would wear his clothes, which I think when women wear guy clothes, it doesn't seem weird. But then he started wearing my clothes and that seemed weird. <laughs> and so there was a lot of confusion. Right. Absolutely. And then you had to really step into your masculine energy to survive as a single mom, but also, you know, just raising boys even. I had to teach my boys how to shave, how to drive. Right. All those things. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Now, do you feel that you have reawakened your feminine side or you're still working on that? Where are you at? Uh, I I think I have. I think I've really started to come into, I think, getting to an age where I let my hair grow gray, where I wasn't trying to dye my hair and do all the things where I could just be naturally who I was. Something about that shifted for me. Yeah. And, And I think... That, you know, you talked about in your little commercial about married women and their skincare versus single. When you're single, you know, you and I was raised with a mom who said, you get up, you get dressed, you put your makeup on. And, you know, my mom was the opposite. Really? (laughs) So I'd be at school wiping off my makeup. Wow. And my friends are at the next sink putting theirs on. on. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. So do you think it was hard for you to relinquish control when it came to your ex and the kids? It was. And people would say, you need to make him pay more money or like he he and his partner would take the kids to movies and they they wouldn't really look at the ratings to them. That didn't matter. I couldn't control that. So what I did was when the kids would come home, I'd ask how their day was. And they sometimes the boys would be like, we went to a really scary movie. And I'd say, wow, what was that like? And then I'd tell him, you have choices. You can say no. You can, you know, can we go to a different movie? And so I really had to let go. I did not get to say what happened when they were with their dad. Was there a sense of relief in that for you? Yeah, because because if we think we can control someone else, we're crazy. <laughs> but a lot of people think they can control someone else. That's like controlling a teenager. <laughs> That's a whole nother show. But do you think it's the sense of control that keeps a lot of mothers in bad marriages? Very possibly, because I knew if I was to leave, I knew that I would have to give up where my kids were on weekends, what they were experiencing, what they were, eating, what they were eating, all of that. And so I think that there was part of me, as long as we got along, because we did get along, we were friends, yeah. uh, that I could do that. But once I had to let go, I really had to let go. And th- that's the most gracious thing you can do for yourself is let go of what you think control is. It's just an illusion. It is. <laughs> <laughs> so now how did you overcome the feeling of inadequacy? That was hard. I remember my sister would say, you are enough. 
Like I, I would say, but there's no man in there. And their dad was around, but he wasn't doing the things, the right. shaving, the driving. Um, and I, ha- I had to recognize that I was enough for my kids and what they needed. And, and often you look at kids that are given a lot. Yes. And they are, they are not gra- gracious. And my kids, you know, we struggled financially. But every Christmas they were like, oh, this is just what I wanted. They were so grateful. That's great. Yeah. Now, what about FOMO? Did you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a real thing as a single parent. It is. We didn't get vacations. And like I didn't drink because if my kids called late at night, I wasn't going to have had a couple of glasses of wine and go pick them up. Right. So I didn't drink. I didn't go out to eat. I didn't do a lot of things. Well, and money wise, too. Right. I didn't have the extra funds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you say to single parents who say they can't have dreams because it has to be all about your children? Oh, you have dreams. Start dreaming. Start (laughs) a dream journal. Because what happens is the minute they get ready to go, you're going to be left with the empty nest crying your eyes out. But I had a plan. And so as they started to age, I was going to get back into radio with my coaching. And yeah, I missed them. But I was able to create my new life. But it was because I, I chose to dream I chose to think, yeah, there is even more, even at 40, at 50. Right. That's lovely. Now, in your book, too, you talk about the need for these obstacles when we're trying to actually fulfill a dream. Can you share more about that? So many times people will run up against something and they'll go, it's not meant to be. But I say, look at that obstacle, embrace it, because it may help you shift your path to maybe somewhere you weren't planning on going. Like, I did not want to go be a traffic reporter. I wanted to be a DJ, but all by but by accepting that and going into that and, you know, failing forward, falling forward, it opened doors for me to be on all these different radio stations and to end up here where I am now. So sometimes it's easy to go, that's not what I want. But if it's part of your dream, take a step and see where it leads you. That's awesome. And there's a lesson in it. Right? Always. Now, would you consider your failed marriage to be, as Diana likes to say, you're shaken to awaken? Yes. Yes. Because... I, it caused me to get the help I needed for my childhood. Also, it ha- got me to get the help to look at what I was believing and what the, the things that just for me being raised in the 50s, what I thought to be true. The narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, with that, we're going to go to another break, but don't go anywhere. Love from the Hip will be right back. A health crisis is one of the most challenging situations we will experience in our lifetime. It leaves us frightened, confused, and asking, why did this happen to me? Transformational coach Rory Reich experienced his healing crisis when the life he had so carefully constructed came crumbling down around him. The universe had offered him a challenge. He chose to accept it and to rediscover who he was before it was too late. In his book, Transform Yourself Through Disease, Rory shares his personal journey alongside eight practical steps to help those who are stuck realize their self-impairing beliefs and discover ways of transforming them so they can reclaim their health and create the life of their dreams. Don't let your health crisis define you. Take the next step and transform yourself today. For a free life coaching consultation, contact Rory at RoryReich.com. That's R-O-R-Y-R-E-I-C-H.com. Taking care of your body's largest organ can be difficult, but not for a Sterra Skincare Mist. This topical skin spray supports your skin's own natural healing defenses. Astera Skincare Mist is a light misting spray, free of parabens, alcohol, toxins, and fragrance. This all-natural topical skin spray will take the woe out of your skincare worries without clogging your pores. Irritation, inflammation, redness, post-procedure sensitivities, no problem. With Astera Skincare Mist, you can continue about your day without the skin dismay. Acne, rosacea, psoriasis, sunburns, rashes, and fungus? Don't let these skin concerns inconvenience you. Instead, let Astera Skincare Mist allow you to be happy in the skin you're in. Available at Sakura Skin and Mind. Learn more at AsteraCare.com. That's E-S-T-H-E-R-A Care.com. Mystic Journeys invites you to an innovative nine-day spiritual retreat in the heart of Tulum, Mexico. Join them this fall from November 9th to November 17th, 2023 for a unique blend of guided tours and spiritual workshops. From the beachside villa, they'll explore the ancient ruins and stunning beauty of the Mayan Riviera. In their workshops, expert facilitators will help you develop your spiritual gifts, increase your vitality, and invite synchronicity into your life. 
Learn how to embody Qigong, astrology, seven sacred flame meditation, sound healing, and ancestral indigenous teachings from a local spiritual elder. Space is limited to 12 participants. To see the full itinerary and apply, visit harmonhealing.com. That's H-A-R-M-O-N healing.com. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm intuitive medium, spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. If you're just joining us, I'm speaking with the lovely Lori Hardy. So Lori, I have to ask you, did you struggle with self-care, feeling selfish as a single mom? I, I did, mostly because there wasn't time. We were always so busy, and like I didn't buy new clothes, and we lived on a farm, so I wore jeans and T-shirts. I remember when I started working in Seattle, and I had to like buy some clothes. But uh, also, like I, I had this one girl say to me, she was a younger girl. She said, "You need to use moisturizer." I was like, "What?" And you know, <laughs> and I did. I started using moisturizer. But then again, it's like sometimes you go to the store, and it's like you know, food or moisturizer. Right. Like sometimes I had to make those hard decisions, or clothes for your children, or for you. Exactly. Yeah. And so, how did that affect like? buying undergarments for yourself. <laughs> That's what I brought up. Yeah, I may have worked out on the farm, but, you know, uh-huh. I wasn't buying underwear. <laughs> yeah. I think dating really helps, you know. Yeah, if you choose to date, you're probably going to do that. And remember, I made the choice not to date, so that wasn't you know, yeah. a priority. But I remember my sister one time was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and she gave me some sort of Kohl's coupon to go buy. <laughs> now, when did you realize, though, that your self-care is also very important? Well, because I became a coach, I recognized, and I remember when I got the concept of self-care, in my mind was like, this is ridiculous. And so I, I decided I'm going to try it out. Yeah. And so I started doing just some little self-care things that they recommended. And if I felt really selfish or the world ended, then I would know. <laughs> right. And actually, that's when my marriage fell apart mm. because I started to care for myself and I re- started to recognize, oh, my goodness, Everything had been about him yeah. and about protecting the secret. And I had been doing all the things for the kids. So when I started asking him for help, that's when everything started. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And then how do you think, though, you stepping into your self-care also helps with your children? If we don't take care of ourselves, and I see this people taking care of either they're uh, a single mom or they're taking care of their, their spouse or an elder, you know, their parent, yeah, their parent is when they don't take care of themselves, they get burnout and they get mean. And if we're going to be burnout and mean, we are not serving anybody. Yeah. And resentful. Mm-hmm. Plus, we're providing an example, right? Exactly. For our children. So. Think about this. If we don't love ourselves and we get up and we look in the mirror and go, oh, I'm so ugly. Even if we just do the look and we don't say the words and we have a daughter watching us yes they pick that up we may think they don't but they are brilliant and they pick it up so if we learn it early on and we teach them when they're a mom and we tell them go take care of yourself they go yeah great I will Mm -hmm. we've won right exactly (laughs) I'm glad that you brought that up because I was always you know adamant about what I said to myself in the mirror when she was around or what she heard as far as how I talked about my body Mm -hmm. because I think that that you know that they, they're sponges. Yeah. They absorb all of that. Yeah, they see so much. And even the whole talking about your ex, I remember this one woman, I said, don't talk about your husband in front of the kids. And she goes, well, they're only two. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, they pick it up. Well, and it's an energy, right, that it you're is. keeping around. So how do you recommend others lend support to a single parent? The biggest thing that I say is it's supporting a single parent isn't a one-time thing. So I had a friend that babysat for me every week for two mm-hmm. hours. That was such a gift. And some people would help out financially in like, oh, okay, whenever your kid is going to have sports, you let me know and I'll do it. When we do a one-time help, that's nice, but it's ongoing. Help them fix their car. If if our car doesn't work, yeah. you know, my sister and brother-in-law, they got me a car and it, it, it changed everything because I was breaking down on the freeway. What a great gift. Yeah. And then what about advice? Do you recommend they... Stop giving as much advice yeah. and maybe just listen. <laughs> so I pointed out a couple of things where I was judged. Yeah. And, you know, when people said, well, you've got to get rid of the horse and your priorities are wrong. You know, it's not for anybody else to decide what your priorities are. They don't know they're not you. And you know who the expert on you is? You. Yeah. And you probably became more in tune with yourself, the more self-care that you exercise, correct? For instance, my boys were fighting a lot. And people would say, let them duke it out. 
the 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 physicalness of the of their sizes that would not have been a good thing and yet i got so criticized and people say just let them fight it out and they'll be done but that was not really that was not the answer for that situation and so i had to rebuke a lot of advice and people really want to give unsolicited they do. advice yeah. and they kind of feel like that makes them more helpful uh-huh. right and it's not yeah and you know what you know you mm-hmm. you talked about this in your book knowing what you know can you talk more about that it's really easy when somebody's putting something on you to go, oh, well, maybe I should. And I don't believe in shoulds. If you catch <laughs> yourself saying should, often it's something really you shouldn't. Like, I should go to this party because I, maybe not. It's like, right. listen to our intuition. And when we stop shooting on ourselves, and when other people tell us we should, if we say, wait, I'm going to think about this. No, it's not something I want to do. Right. I hate when people should on each other. Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> so now I have to ask you, what has transpired since this book? So I was a life coach when I wrote the book. Yeah. But now, because I've written a book, people are asking me, how, you know, I want to write a book. So I have a formula that works for podcasting and book writing. I don't teach you to write, but I teach you the formula on how you can create a book. You don't even need to write a word. You could record it. I mean, we have such amazing technology, but my biggest thing is if you are being prompted to tell your story, then that's your job. People always come to my classes and they say, oh, who's going to listen? Who's going to read it? And I always say, that's not your job. You're not here because you want to know who's listening. You're here because you know you have a story to tell. And that's part of what your new podcast is. Can Mm -hmm. you tell my listeners a little bit more about that? It's called Interrupted, Act Two, Reinventing Your Legacy. So often in life, we get the rug pulled out from under us with caretaking, with divorce, with aging out, with jobs, with pandemic. Sickness, yeah. Right. And I I hear people say, I'm too old, it's too late. And that is a lie. Mm -hmm. That is that we can always recreate. And now I'm meeting all these amazing people that have recreated their life. In fact, they're living a life they love even more. That's great. And where can they find this podcast? Apple Podcast or Spotify. It's called Interrupted, Act Two, Reinventing Your Legacy. Love it. And I had the pleasure of being interviewed. So yours, was you so the most, much. yours was the most downloaded. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> now, are you finally thriving instead of just surviving? I am. And it took a lot to get there because when I was in survival mode, I didn't recognize that. But when I when I got good coaching and good counseling and I started to recognize that and get out of survival, I recognized I didn't have to be a perfectionist. I didn't have to do everything. I had to live and enjoy and celebrate what I had. Yeah. And be in the moment. It's hard to put down that hustle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, how can my listeners learn more about you and your classes and your podcasts? You can find me at coachlaurie, dot com, and that will tell you all about the classes. Or I'm on Facebook, or you can listen in the afternoons at Warm 106.9. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Christmas all the time when? Yes. When does that start? Well, I can't tell you. It's <laughs> okay. our biggest secret, Oops. but it starts usually just I thought little... I could get it out of yeah, her, Yeah, nice try. <laughs> if, I could, if I could have a dollar for everyone that tries to get that out of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again for being here, Lori. Your story is worth mm. sharing as you said everyone's story. There's so much healing in that. Thank you again. Thank you. Yes. And thank you to Eric, my amazing producer. (laughs) And you, the listener, KKNW and Cape Town Zone Radio. You can find me at sakurasutter.com. Tune in next Wednesday for another episode of Love from the Hip presents the Conscious Coaching Hour. Stay kind out there. Stay true to you. And don't forget, make self-love contagious. Go ahead. I dare you.